Blog Talk Radio. This is One on One with Jasper Cole, Hollywood's bad guy, and so much more. Actor, talent manager, producer, and more. Now he's sitting down with today's top newsmakers from entertainment, politics, pop culture, and beyond. This is One on One with Jasper Cole. Yes. Howdy, everyone. This is Jasper Cole. Happy Thursday. Welcome to Season 8, Episode 1 premiere, and please welcome my sidekick, Mr. Ralph Cole Jr. Hey, Ralph. Hey, Jasper. How are you? Well, can you believe it is 8? Well, it's actually, you know, the truth is it's actually like 10 years since we've been doing a show, but 8 years that we've been doing uh, one-on-one with Jasper Cole. As, it's really surprising because, you know, we started, yeah, 10 years ago with On the Set with Jasper Cole, and we, it seems like we did that for so long. We had so many guests, and then you segued into one-on-one with Jasper Cole, <clears throat> and now you're saying it's eight years later. It's amazing. You used to be a temple place, um, and then you've had a whole stable of fierce one-on-one guests. You introduced the whole homelessness uh, faction, which is crucial to everyone living, and uh, mm-hmm. that, that's been uh, very good. And you also opened up a political forum, Breaking the News, yes. whereby you could have, well, your co-host Erica Renee Davis and yourself discuss politics, have people on that are really passionate and knowledgeable like you two are about politics. So you've done another great thing with um, your radio show. And now, here we are, all these years later, it's like a full circle planet Earth up, because when Jasper and I met each other, he and his spouse were living in West Hollywood. And I'd like to tell our viewers today, Jasper, where are you broadcasting from, motherfucker? (laughs) I am back in West Hollywood after three years of... Full-time in Palm Springs. I mean, of course, I was back and forth working in L.A. So I thought the perfect way to kick off Season 8 is with our very special guest today. And Ralph is correct. You know, I'm, I'm a political junkie. I'm a pop culture junkie. I think Ralph and I are both um, LGBTQ AIDS activists. You know, we've lived through uh, the, the AIDS uh, crisis in the 80s and 90s, and now we're living through covid and yes i'm back um in weho in my our new place which is you know i palm springs is is home and this is now going to be part-time it used to be weho with full-time and palm springs is part-time but of course for me my heart always belongs in west hollywood so i want to at this time welcome our very special guest today he is the former mayor of west hollywood He's a former city councilman. He's a, an attorney. He's a political activist, uh, an AIDS activist. He has done it all from the very beginning of starting the city. Please welcome Mr. John Duran. Hey, John, how are you? Hi, Jasper. Hi, Ralph. You can hear me, hey. hear me okay? Yes, Mr. John Jude Duran. Bienvenido. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. And I, like I was saying, I think it's a, a perfect uh, kickoff to our new season is to to have you on. And, you know, I 
first of all, thank you so much for the the 30 plus years of um, service to the community and not just as a politician, but of course as a as a an attorney and all the amazing cases that that you, that you still work on. So, first of all, how have you how has it been for you during this crazy uh, pandemic COVID year? You know, Jasper, you and you brought up you and Ralph just brought up a very good point for the LGBT community. This is not our first time at the rodeo, right? This is not mm, no. the first time we've had to get through a pandemic. In fact, what's true about the AIDS pandemic is we led the charge. We were the ones that responded when the government and institutions and churches and businesses would not. The LGBT community stepped into the void and, and masterfully led the country on how to handle that epidemic. Everything that we created back in the 1980s and early 90s became the foundation for the response to COVID. So, uh, you know, I, I think LGBT people, when uh, COVID first hit and it looked like the government was going to shut California down in March of 2020, I didn't see a whole lot of whining or complaining. It's like, okay, we need to do this. We need to handle it. We, we know that we had to handle HIV and AIDS in the 80s, and, you know, we had to sacrifice a lot of our liberties back then. I mean, everything controversial from shutting down the bathhouses to safer sex practices in order to maintain our human sexuality in the midst of pandemic to having to set up our, our own food banks and having to deal with medicinal marijuana and, and clean needles for IV drug users. I mean, we, we just set the tone and, and the response and we just did whatever it took. And, and so I think for a lot of us uh, on COVID, we've been there, done that, right? It's like, okay, yeah. what, what next? And what next? And what next? And what next? And just jumped right on it. Well, John, you well, just, are, you're giving me goose pimples. One sec, Jasper, because based on what you've just said, John, this is the first time I have ever felt like a pioneer. Because before my forefathers before me with Stonewall, I always thought of them as my pioneers. And for the first time of listening to you, it's like, oh, wow, I'm part of that movement, you know, as a survival of that AIDS movement. So thank you for wording it like that. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, I want, to, I want to point something out because Los Angeles often gets overlooked. Uh, Stonewall, mm -hmm. uh, with all hats off to Stonewall of June of 1969, we got to remember that the Black Cat Raid happened in Los Angeles two years prior to that in 1967. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, that the first time police brutality came up against gay people in a gay bar was in Los Angeles two years before Stonewall. So, uh, you know, I, I appreciate the, the role that Stonewall played in the history of the movement, but Los Angeles was the first in so many ways from the well, Mattachine Society to Harry Hay and Morris Kite and started the Radical Fairies, the first gay publication, the Advocates starting in Los Angeles, the first political action committee in the country, MECLA, starting in Los Angeles, Lesbian News, the first newspaper for lesbians, starting in Los Angeles, the first AIDS walk, the first LGBT center, the first gay pride parade, all happened in Los Angeles. So hats off to New York and hats off to Harvey Milk in San Francisco, but L.A. has its proper place in the history of the movement. Absolutely. You know, Thank you, are you so for right. putting that at the forefront. And I wanted to give – there's a wonderful documentary that uh, uh, Here TV, David Milburn did, uh, Billy Cliff, uh, two years ago, uh, that talked all about the black cat. And, you know, John, it's embarrassing because I lived in Silver Lake as well for a number of years. And my ignorance, I didn't even know the story of the black cat. And that's, 
that I felt horrible about that because like I'm 57 years old. And like you said, my, you know, everything was about Stonewall. And so when I saw the documentary and I learned about the black cat, I was like, damn, that's amazing. It's, um, it, 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 you're right, L.A. And, the, and to that point, you were on the front line and one of the you and John Hellman tell every if you don't mind. I mean, I, I'm going to jump all over the place because we need about three hours with your life and your career. But I, I'd love our listeners to know how you were so instrumental in just the beginning of the city of West Hollywood and the, and the, the city councilman and how you moved here from Laguna Beach. Well, uh, John Heilman is the true grandpa of the, of the city, right? <laughs> John Heilman was on the very first city council that when I mean, the city got formed in 1984. And, and I was just an antagonist. John Heilman was on the council for uh, 35 years. I was only on the council for 20. Not that 20 is anything to blink at, because 20 right. years was a, a long time, too. But I, I came to West Hollywood in 1990. I, I'm a native Angelino. I was born and raised in Los Angeles. Born in Lincoln Heights, raised in the area of Santa Fe Springs near Whittier. So I, I, I'm a local boy. Uh, I went and did time. I tell people I did time in Orange County because I, <laughs> I fell in love with a school teacher down there. And, and I moved to Orange County and, and lived in, in Laguna Beach in Santa Ana while I was down there. And, and, and the reality is I, I kind of got run out of Orange County on a rail. I, <laughs> I was an attorney back then for ACT UP. Uh, Los Angeles, and also the Orange County Visibility League, which was the, their version of ACT UP. Uh, I, I was the uh, the attorney for the first gay pride parade that happened in Orange County back in 1989. And, and right after I was starting to do all this controversial work, uh, my law practice got a swastika placed on the mm. front door from the local white Aryan resistance in 1989. Nice. And shortly thereafter, somebody set the back porch of our home on fire, and uh, we had to report it as a hate crime. And, and that's when I told my partner at the time, I said, I love you. I love living here. But you know what? I'm going home to L.A. <laughs> I need to feel right. safe when I put my head on the pillow at night. And he said, I get it. Let's go back to L.A. We're in L.A. And I said, well, you know, my friend John Heilman and Steve Schulte, they just started a city. Uh, West Hollywood has become a new city. And, and I think we should move to West Hollywood. And so that's when I, I came to West Hollywood in 1990, and, and I was an antagonist. I sued the sheriff's department for denying HIV-positive people their medication while they were in jail. I sued the sheriff's department again when they discriminated and fired Deputy Bruce Bolin, who was the first mm. out gay or lesbian sheriff in the department. And I was still counsel for ACT UP, representing protesters. So I, I think I was just an antagonist. I mean, like a lot of people who get involved in politics – there's a calling, but, it, you know, we don't – I didn't come to be a politician. I, I was a, an HIV activist and LGBT activist first. Well, you know, the, the, the great Peter Staley, who, who on the East Coast, you know, Peter – I've always said, John, that you're, you're our Peter Staley on the West Coast because, by the way, guys, Peter's got a new book coming out. Um, if, if, you, if any of our listeners don't know the history of Peter Staley and ACT UP in New York, but, but – but, John, you know, to that point, like, looking back now on those early days, first of all, I think it's great when someone says, we're just, we're just going to go start a city. It's like, you know, let's just put a show on kind of thing. But looking back <laughs> on, <laughs> on the early days, of because really and truly 1990 was right when it wasn't just starting a city, but it was also a, a community that was dealing with the AIDS crisis at the 
kind of at the same time. And um, I, I, I guess I, when I, I moved here in 87, and I remember in the early 90s, my first foray into it was uh, Marianne Williamson and, and Project Angel Food and the, and the food delivery uh, and her lectures. And I met so many people at her lectures in the, in the AIDS uh, activist community. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think a lot of the young people understand what you said earlier about how the government was not helping no one was helping, and we had to band together and do this ourselves. But, and I hope you, by the way, I hope you are going to write a book and do some sort of documentary yourself um, because it needs to be chronicled. But when you do look back on those days, do you, are there certain moments that seemed insurmountable and you can't believe you, you guys made it through? Yeah, I mean, and thank you for the, the uh, uh, comparison to my friend Peter, who's a very dear friend in New York, Peter Staley, and of course, Cleve Jones in San Francisco, mm-hmm. both very good friends, and we're all about the same age and in the three big cities where LGBT, you know, history is centered, and, and, and I, I will say that one of the things I don't think people understand is when West Hollywood Incorporated in 1984, all the local academicians and politicians and bureaucrats all predicted West Hollywood was going to fail. And the mm. reason they said it was going to fail, it was basically a red light district, right? If you want to right. know, if you're young and you want to know what West Hollywood looked like back in the 80s, drive on Santa Monica Boulevard and cross over La Brea, heading towards <laughs> Island and Vine. Right. That is what West Hollywood looked like. It was, it was kind of, you know, light industrial architecture and, kind of a pet and, you know, debris and garbage all over Santa Monica Boulevard and kind of street, streety and edgy and, and, and God, we loved it, right? I mean, God, right, we loved right. it. <laughs> and that's, that's how West Hollywood used to look. It looked like old Hollywood. And, mm-hmm. and they said, you're never going to make it. You don't have a local economy. You don't have any resources. And to top it off, you now have to manage this epidemic where, you know, by the way, between 1984 and 94, West Hollywood's three zip codes lost 10,000 men, 10,000 mm. gay men in zip codes 9004648 and 69, which is West Hollywood and the surrounding L.A. neighborhoods. That's like a bomb dropping on a community okay. to lose 10,000 people in a 10-year period. And, and, the, and the government was starved for cash. But there was this very wise lesbian at City Hall. Her name was Jody Curley. And Jody came up with the idea that instead of creating a West Hollywood Health Department or West Hollywood Social Services or West Hollywood HIV Department, that it would be better to take the tax money that we were getting from the Sunset Strip and the gay bars in Boys Town and to contract with the Gay and Lesbian Center, to contract with AIDS Project Los Angeles, to contract with Being Alive, to contract with St. Thomas the Apostle, and, and to work with all these nonprofits to provide services to people in West Hollywood. It's kind of ironic because that, in, in essence, is more of a Republican idea, right? You, mm-hmm, you take taxes right. and you empower the private sector. But West Hollywood didn't have a choice because we didn't have the money to start a health department to manage thousands of cases of HIV. Well, when West Hollywood plugged into the Gay and Lesbian Center and APLA, and being alive and started giving them all hundreds of thousands of dollars every year, all of those organizations ballooned up and became mm-hmm. the large institutions that they are now. But for HIV and AIDS, but, but for, you know, the pain, the terrible price we paid with HIV and AIDS, 
The LGBT center in Los Angeles will not be the largest in the world today. And we wouldn't have APLA and AIDS Healthcare Foundation and Being Alive and what used to be Shanti, which has now uh, uh, got a new name, uh, where, mm-hmm. you know, Marianne used to do and, and right. Hay, the Hayride and all right. of that. So it, it's kind of interesting that, again, queer people, because we had to think outside the box or we were just naturally always thinking outside the box, came up with a new way for government to deliver services not through itself, but instead to contract with nonprofits and empower nonprofits to become strong, to be able to do that. And that started here in WIO, and it's a great model for a lot of other smaller cities today. And, you know, I think a lot of people forget, you know, they think of West Hollywood as, you know, uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, and then people tend to forget that, you know, there's Sunset Boulevard. There's, there's another part. There was always like this invisible line of like, there's the gay part of West Hollywood and there's the straighter part of West Hollywood. But over the years, we've well, obviously and, seen it change, and, right? And, yeah. Yeah. And, and Jasper, I have to point this out in order to make sure that we understand the history of the Sunset Strip. The very first gay bar in West Hollywood wasn't on Santa Monica Boulevard. It was Cafe Gala up on the Sunset Strip that will later become Spago's, the home of the Academy oh, Awards. Cafe, wow. Gala, Cafe Gala was the very first gay bar on the Sunset Strip. And if we want to go back to the 1930s, Mickey Cohen and Bugsy Siegel started the first drag show on the Sunset Strip at a club <laughs> called Mickey's Haberdashery, which oh is God. where currently Chin Chin. Chin Chin is on the Sunset Strip. Uh, but they had the Plaza, very first yeah. female... Yeah, female impersonators and drag shows in the 1930s in West Hollywood That's up on the Sunset Strip. Yeah. Well, I know you've been uh, preserving the Sunset Strip and the history of the Sunset Strip. That's always that is and continues to be one of your passions as well. What what growing up in the city? Also, by the way, Ralph is a native um, Los Angeles, born and bred. He lives in uh, Windsor Hills in uh, near Baldwin Hills, but was was that was that part of the city the sunset strip was something growing up that you are always kind of enamored with with the history okay so here's 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 the dig here's here's the dig it's 1975 right i'm in high school i have my fake id i was jose gonzalez for many years i had uh-huh. my fake id that i got down in <laughs> macarthur park and and i and my girlfriends in whittier would come to the sunset strip a party at the Whiskey and the Rainbow and the Roxy and all the, the fabulous nightclubs. I was dating girls back then, right? I'm 16 mm-hmm. years old. I'm dating girls. And one of my friends, who's still very dear to me to this day, she said, John, Lou Adler from the Roxy, just starting a brand new movie, and we think you are going to just love this movie. And I'm like, okay, wh- what time and where? Friday night, midnight. I said, Friday night at midnight? What kind of a movie plays Friday night at midnight? <laughs> It's called the Rocky Horror Picture Show, and we think it's going to mean something to you. (laughs) So (laughs) they took me to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I'm a good Catholic school boy. I have no idea boys can do things with boys and girls can do things with girls. And that movie opened my eyes to other possibilities. Well, within a few months, I rolled down San Vicente to Santa Monica Boulevard and found <laughs> Studio One. And, and oh, the rest wow. is history. The rest is oh, history. Oh, my God. Yeah. Talk about history, Studio One. I mean, that is the whole place with, uh, you know, within itself. Oh, my God. Well, so, you know, now that you've sort of passed the torch, right, I mean, 
it, what is your take? And this is with all due respect to the younger generation, both coming after us. But when you look at West Hollywood now and sort of the, where the city government is, are do you, are you are you feeling good that it's in a good place as you sort of look back right now and where the city government is? Well, I, I will say this. Uh, John Heilman and I lost our office in November of 2020, like the two longest-serving council members in the history of the mm-hmm. city. We were both running for re-election, and we got replaced with two younger people from a younger mm-hmm. generation. And you know what? That's how elections happen, right? A brand-new generation. They were responding to Donald Trump primarily, trying to get re-elected. They turned out in droves, and they voted for two younger people, and that's great. And I'm actually perfectly fine with it and happy to be on the other side of 20 years of service. But we left them with $140 million in prudent reserves, a AAA bond mm-hmm. rating, and a, a community that works really well for the 37,000 people that call this place home. Lately, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned. I, I'm very concerned with some of the decisions they're making because, to me, it runs contrary to the sort of live and let live spirit that is West Hollywood. For example... They passed a no-smoking ordinance in apartments anywhere in West Hollywood. That goes into effect next year. Now, I don't smoke. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. In the 70s and 80s, I did all of that. I smoked, (laughs) I did drugs, I drank. I did all of it because that's part of the coming of age, I think, of being a a young person. But but to me, there's always been this understanding here in West Hollywood, whether it was the you know, the 1940s glamour and glitz of, uh, of Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin or the 50s with Jimmy Dean and Marilyn Monroe and Ella Fitzgerald or the hippies in the 60s or the discos in the 70s, that people could come here, live and let live and find their own version of the good life. And if you wanted to smoke weed, if you wanted to smoke cigarettes, if you wanted to drink, if you wanted to do party drugs, that was all okay as long as you didn't harm anybody. And and that's kind of this libertarian value, I think, at the heart of the city that, look, live and let live to each his own. And, and to me, the smoking ordinance, and I understand all the reasons why they passed it, just seems to run contrary to that, uh, that sort of rebellious spirit of West Hollywood. If they try to make us like any other city in Los Angeles, we've prided ourselves at being unlike any other city in Los Angeles and being contrarian and being rebellious. And it feels like they're trying to put a bridle on, on that free, free spirit of West Hollywood. And, and, and that, that concerns me a great deal because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's new generations of young people that are going to do the exact same thing I did, drink too much, smoke too much, end up in somebody else's bed too much, whatever mm-hmm. they're going to do. But isn't that part of, you know, being young and reckless and hopefully, God willing, you survive? <laughs> Like, you know, right. we all survived, right? We got right. through it. We survived. It was just part of the coming of age. And so that, that sort of uh, new politics, and I understand it. I understand where it comes from. It's this new progressivism that is very different than liberalism. You know, I, I consider myself a traditional liberal, which is, you know, government just stay out of everything and let, mm-hmm. let me live. And uh, the, these progressive politics seem to be a bit more restrictive. I don't think they intend to do that, but that is the net effect of it. Well, I, we couldn't have you on today, obviously, without talking about the upcoming recall election next week. I mean, it's, I'm horrified to even think that we're, I, for those of us who remember Schwarzenegger and, you know, I always want to remind people that, you know, that's how we got Schwarzenegger. And 
quite frankly, I think that was a disaster. But um, what are your thoughts on on what's happening? Um, do you think the turnout's going to be what we need in terms of blocking the recall? Well, this is great that you bring up Arnold Schwarzenegger. And by the way, Maria Shriver is a good personal friend of mine, ironically. I, I, not I not very her. close to Arnold Schwarzenegger, but I'm very close to Maria. But, yeah. but if people don't remember their history, we started Equality California in 1999. There was a ragtag group of 20 of us that met in San Diego and said, you know what, we're going to get marriage in California. Hawaii's starting to do it. Vermont's starting to do it. We need to do it in California. We met in 99, and we said, let's create something called Equality California, and we did. And we started a new organization with the idea of getting marriage through the state legislature because Vermont and Hawaii were going through the courts to get marriage equality. We wanted to do it the hard way, which is through the state assembly and through the state senate and signed by the governor. And it was Arnold Schwarzenegger that vetoed the marriage Mm. equality bills twice. Twice. Yes, he did. He vetoed. We, we got that bill. We would have been the first state in the nation to get marriage through the legislature, and Arnold Schwarzenegger stopped us twice. Then, of course, we had to you know, end up in the courts before the California right. Supreme Court. Then we got marriage. Then it got taken away later that year in 2008 by Proposition 8, and then we had to wait for the U.S. Supreme Court to overturn all that. So I guess I'm just saying elections have consequences, mm-hmm. and We have Gavin Newsom, who used to be the mayor of San Francisco and was in the heart of the battle for marriage equality with us uh, when it was not a popular thing to do. And and he's proven himself to be a true friend of the LGBT community. And he's handling COVID in such a way that I think, as difficult as it is, he's doing a great job. The the front runner is Larry Elder, a very conservative talk show host who is not pro-gay, who will not help us on AIDS policy, will not be helpful on COVID policy. He's anti-choice, anti-labor. I mean, it's about anti-everything that California holds dear. And so uh, I I keep reminding people who are mad at Gavin, oh, I'm mad at Gavin because of the mask or because of the shutdown. I said, okay, but are you ready for Larry Elder? Are you ready for, uh, you know, California's version of Donald Trump to step in? Yeah. Uh, you know, at, at the moment, it looks like the Democrats are returning ballots in far higher numbers than Republicans. Republicans tend to vote on Election Day because they think there's voter fraud in mail-in ballots, which is insane. But, right. uh, you know, it's still going to be close. But I, I think Gavin's going to be OK. At least that's I'm knocking on my head, knocking on wood right now that he's going to be OK. Well, I yeah. heard that based on all the recalls that they've had historically, only six have actually culminated in the person being recalled. Yeah. Yeah. The last one was Gray Davis, of course, getting recalled back in 2002 or three, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, like you said, you know, it's not like there's anybody on the list on the other side that's competent. I'm with all due respect. I mean, it's, there's nobody that God forbid, you know, that, we we lose a recall that you could kind of look over and go, well, you know, at least we have such and such. I mean, when you're looking at Angeline, Caitlyn Jenner, and Larry Elder, we might as well just, you know, shoot ourselves. <laughs> because yeah, I know. I, I, mean, I, mean, think about. I mean, I mean, look, if God forbid if Gavin gets recalled on Tuesday and Larry Elder becomes the new governor, 
he will only be governor until November of 2022, right? So he's only got right. 14 months in office before he has to stand for election again. And I think whatever Democrat runs against him in November of 22 will take the seat away from him. But think about what damage can be caused in a 14-month period. What if, God forbid, Diane Feinstein dies while she's in office? I know. She is in her 90s, right? She's the oldest member of the U.S. Senate. If she yeah. dies, Larry Elder gets to appoint the new U.S. senator, thus taking away the 50-50 balance in the U.S. Senate. And Mitch McConnell from Kentucky is once again the leader of the Senate, jamming everything in Washington, D.C. Oh, It'd be my terrible. God. Nightmare. Oh, my God. Well, I was also watching on Spectrum One today. They were talking about the Latino, the Latin vote, and, the, you know, the, I, I don't know if you can believe polls or whatever, but apparently some of – some of the Latino vote is, is supporting the recall and some people being interviewed, their biggest complaint they had is that he went to that fucking restaurant. You know, he had, I know. he had, he had a, he had a, a dinner at a private thing or whatever. It's just amazing to me what people will latch onto because like you said, the consequences far outweigh him having a, a private dinner, you know, during, during COVID. So um, we're just going to pray that, uh, People come out and, 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 and vote, for God's sake. That's what, we, that's what has to happen, for sure. Yes, yes. Well, listen, I know that you've also been so, such a staunch supporter in the HIV-AIDS community. You've been very open about your own status and living with HIV. And, you know, when we're, we're talking about COVID now, do you foresee, you know, HIV has become this huge billion-dollar industry, obviously, do we? Do you think the days of thinking about uh, quote a cure for HIV is over, or is it just going to stay a, a, a manageable condition? Do you think? Well, God, I hope not. But I, I have to say that some of the technology coming out of the COVID vaccine may prove itself to be useful in developing an HIV vaccine. So you know, That's the more research that we pour into viruses, I think we, it only stands to benefit our fight against both COVID and, and HIV. And, and, you know, I I try to remind young people all the time, there would be no wedding bells on wedding cakes for gay and lesbian people if we hadn't paid the price through the AIDS epidemic. Like I think a lot of young people think that, uh, you know, AIDS is kind of this distant thing that happened to older gay guys and it was a terrible Mm -hmm. thing. But they don't understand that when AIDS hit in 1981, homosexuality had only been decriminalized for six years, right? Right. California decriminalized homosexuality in 1975. It was illegal to be gay or lesbian in 1975, right? Right. And so uh, people don't understand that we had to first get rid of the sodomy law that made homosexuality illegal in 75 to just start the building of a movement. And as we were just getting started in the late 70s, we got walloped by a virus that forced so many gay men, and not only out of the closet on their HIV status, but out of the closet on their sexuality. It was the scarlet letter. You couldn't hide the fact that you had Kaposi's sarcoma or that your face was wasting or that you had toxoplasmosis. You know, a lot of guys who prior to that didn't think a word about politics, including myself, by the way, Mm -hmm, didn't think mm -hmm. anything about politics were suddenly drawn into activism in literally the fight for our, our lives. And, and the first big battle we had was no on Prop 64. Well, you know, I, I try to tell young people, do you know who Lyndon LaRouche was or Prop 64? 
no, never heard of it. I said, well, it was a ballot on the California, uh, an initiative on the California ballot that would have quarantined HIV positive people in the same camps they used on Japanese Americans in World War II. And oh young people God. laugh and giggle like I'm, like I'm telling them a joke. I'm like, no, I'm serious. <laughs> that was actually an initiative. Oh, well, that would never pass in California. Well, yeah, the polls showed it was going to pass two to one when we right. first started working on the, the initiative. Well, the courts would never uphold that. Well, what do you think Mr. Korematsu said to his wife before they went into a concentration camp for being of Japanese descent and had to go mm. all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court, where the U.S. Supreme Court agreed that it was okay that all their property and values be seized by the government and that they be placed in camps. Out of what? Fear. Fear during World War II of Japanese influence on politics, and fear was the primary driver during the AIDS epidemic in the early 80s. We would have suffered the same fate had we not beaten back that proposition. I mean, those are war stories. That, that stuff uh, that young LGBT people should say, man, I come from good stock. I come from a, a good community of people who, who it's their love, it's their same-sex love that binds them all together and, man, they're good stock. Like you said, Ralph, pioneers. This was all pioneering work in the 1970s and 80s. Right. And, you know, Ralph, Ralph grew up here, but then he moved to New York. So Ralph was actually in New York during the, uh, the AIDS crisis. And, you know, people forget also California. We had San Francisco that was decimated. And you had the, Cas- the Castro district. And then you had uh, West Hollywood as well. And, you know, Ralph talks about, course the village and the new york gay community was wiped out my husband's 10 years older than me and he had an entire address phone book of names you know of friends that that died um so yeah i just you know i i i don't want to always be on my soapbox to the like you know get off my lawn kind of clint eastwood guy to the young people but (laughs) I, (laughs) i just think you know it's so important to know our our history. And, you know, John, you've got such an amazing energy and, and passion about you. And I, I, we all want that. I know you're going to continue doing what you do and, you know, I keep, keep out there with your activism. And I, I so want that to continue. And, and like I said, do you, what is this next chapter looking like for you? I'm sure you've got lots of well, stuff on here- the horizon. Here is one of the blessings of COVID, Jasper. So the state of California shuts down in March of 2020, right? I'm a criminal defense lawyer, so I do by day. And suddenly the courts are all closing. And by the way, everybody's locked up, so nobody's committing any crimes. So I have nothing to do. And, and, and I, you know, I had been threatening to start to chronicle some of this history forever and ever. And, uh, but I wasn't able to do it. And, and I met with this young millennial. Because he'd, he'd heard some of my stories over dinner a few mm-hmm. times, and he said, John, you should write this down. This is important history, and there's so mm. few people that are still alive that remember all this. And I said, look, the, the reason I haven't written it down is because I'm fearful of the abyss. Like some of these memories are very dark and, and yeah. very painful. And, and yeah. like your, your husband, Jasper, you know, I lost 104 friends between mm. 84 and 94, 104 very dear loved ones in a wow. short period of time. And I, don't, I didn't like thinking about it because, to me, it was just this bad nightmare that I just don't want to ever think about. So I was always afraid to start writing it. And, and he said, John, I've heard you give many speeches over the years. 
you know, you're, you're one of the best political speakers we got. You seem to be able to yes. get a crowd rallied up and, and, and up enraged and in passion. And I said, well, that's just being Latino. We just, we're very passionate. <laughs> he, said, he said, no, no, but I've heard you speak. And I think if you just, why don't you do this? I, you you uh, like music. Why don't you write songs? Because songs seem to be a way that you like to express yourself. You were with the Gay Men's yes. Chorus of Los Angeles for 20 years. And, and I said, all right, I can, I can write some songs. Well, believe it or not, in like three weeks, I wrote 15 songs. Oh, my 15 God. Songs. Wow. Just stuff there about, you know, gay men and lesbians first meeting, about somebody finding out he has three months yet to live, uh, about, you know, the history of the epidemic. And it all came out. Well, it turns out the millennial graduated from the Juilliard School of Music in composition. So he mm, put notes and harmonies and melodies to the songs. And now we have 15 actual songs. I wrote the lyrics. He wrote the music. And he said, all right, John, this is the skeleton. Now write the story. And wow. I sat at my computer for months and months. And 334 pages later, it was all down on paper. All right. So, oh, right. Oh, my God. Yeah, now, now I'm, I'm learning. I had to hire two lawyers and, you know, that's being prepared. <laughs> and they're going to start pitching it to various, uh, you know, Netflix and other creators well, I, and Brian Murphy say, and other people. Well, and and, Welcome and I to hope showbiz. it gets traction. Yeah, oh yeah. My God. So another blessing of COVID. Yeah. Well, you know, people may not know you've been so you've got to, you've got the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain. You've always been able to merge the the creative with your singing and the chorus, and now with your your uh, being a lawyer. But that is so exciting because I really do. I'm not just blowing smoke. I think that your story is so important, and you're still young. I mean, you're still young and you've got so much great stuff ahead of you and i love this i can't wait to you uh, you are very kind i i am 62 but i'm 49 on grinder i will be 49 <laughs> on grinder forever you are hilarious john i'd like to bring up something to you please um <clears throat> you mentioned in one of your speeches there were three defining things that change a society war famine and plague and when I heard you say that, it was 12 years ago and at a podium wow. where you were speaking to uh, the LGBTQ community. And I just found it so telling the passion with which you spoke about <clears throat> those three scenarios and that the plague you were then talking about AIDS is now exactly what we're going through with COVID and how you mentioned in that speech, the segregation that gets created from the, the, these situations. And I was wanted you to just say something about the divide, all the division that we're all experiencing now with COVID and with the mask wearing and the vaccine injections. Um, a segregation has been created again, and to your point, it's because of a plague. Yeah, so I, uh, I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to give away one of the, the storylines in, in the piece I've written. And by the way, it's called Wildfire is the, in the name of the piece that I've, I've written. Uh, why Wildfire? Oh, wow. Because that's the cataclysm, cataclysm for mm -hmm. Southern California, right? A wildfire. And in the right. first part of the story, the wildfire is the HIV virus going through and striking down randomly, you know, gay men, IV drug users, and hemophiliacs. 
But in the second half of the story, the activists become the wildfire that burns down homophobia, burns down prejudice, burns down discrimination, burns down inequality. Like they become the wildfire created out of, out of a, an epidemic. And, and if, if, you, if I look historically or I ask people to look historically at Camus writing the plague or the mention mm-hmm. of the plagues in the Old Testament all the way back in the time of Moses, Plague is not new to the human experience, right? Whether it's been the bubonic plague, the black plague, uh, polio, uh, HIV, and now COVID. But what's unique in all of these different time periods is the human response to mm-hmm. what people did in response to the presence of plague. If we look at the, the black plague or the bubonic plague uh, or what did in Napoleon or, or Montezuma and the Aztecs, you know, they were very barbaric in their response. They, they isolated people into leper colonies. They, they killed and destroyed people who were infected because that was the only way they could think of to protect society and protect community. And, and that would have happened in the AIDS epidemic but for the presence of the LGBT community and our response and what we did in organizing and, and here in Los Angeles creating content in songs, movies, and television to educate people about HIV, whether it was Rose Nyland in The Golden Girls getting mm-hmm. exposed to HIV or, or whether it was an early frost or, or whether it was music uh, about HIV, Philadelphia Freedom, Elton John. You know, we use the tools that we have, which is our artistry and creativity to soften the hearts of America to become more humane. And we're seeing, I think, that play out again now with COVID, right? We're having a battle. We're having a tribal Mm -hmm. war in the middle of a pandemic with one side relying on science and reason and and the the tools given to us by the founding fathers and mothers, and the other side relying on conspiracy theory, fable, myth, and insanity. And and we're having a battle on everything from vaccines to masking to social distancing uh, with them trying to say it's my choice. Well, it's your choice until it reaches the point where it's casually transmitted through the air. You imagine what would have happened if HIV was casually transmitted through the air like COVID? Oh, my God. They would have rounded us up and put us in camps before you could snap your finger, right? Uh, That's what they would have done. But but uh, here we're in the middle of an epidemic that is casually transmitted by a sneeze or a cough, and, and they're trying to assert individual freedom and liberty. It's like that is not the point. The point is that right now we need to think about community and society and the protection of one another uh, along with our individual freedom and privacy, but at the same time protecting one another from a terrible disease that's already killed more people than AIDS did in the United oh, States. And it's right. only been a year and a half. It's only been a year and a half. Well, listen, I mean, we, it's such an honor to have you here, John, and I'd love to have you come back. And especially when you, when your project is ready to go, and I'm putting this out there to Greg Berlanti and Ryan Murphy and Kevin Williamson and Dar- Darren Starr and all the great, you know, gay and also the the lesbian showrunners and TV producers, um, David Geffen, everybody out there, get behind this project because it's important and we need to get it made. And you're important, John, and you're a blessing to the community. And I can't thank you enough for coming on the show today. John, it was such a pleasure. I'll come back anytime. Thank you for the invitation. John, before you go, though, I just want to close with a quote of yours that I loved and you said this is when the gays, the G's and the L's 
were having to work to come together and unite. And you were saying how the L's were really a little bit more instrumental in that because the G's don't get off their treadmills for anything. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that is, oh my God. That's the perfect way to end the interview. Uh, God bless the the L's. They certainly did pull their weight. No pun intended on that. So oh, the, you know, the, the lesbians rose to the top and they led us through the AIDS epidemic. I'll give you one other John Duran quote, which is when I run into people that say, you know, I'm just not really that political. I just, I'm not really into politics. And I say, honey, if you wake up in bed with somebody of the same sex, you are political. It's okay. just what are you going to do about it? You're going to be oppressed right. or are you going to fight back? Right. Exactly. And thank you, John. And everyone, I want to make sure they know they can follow John on Instagram at John Jude Duran, J-U-D-E. And of course, Duran Law Group is there. Uh, if when you need help, reach out to John. John, all the, all the best. Have a great rest of your week. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. Bye, John. Take care. <laughs> Oh, Ralph, what a great interview. He is fantastic. Such a feeling's coming over me. Yeah, he is very, very um, instrumental in so much progress of what we've achieved. And his knowledge of everything about, you know, when he was talking about the Black Cat movement, and everything that L.A. had instituted, I was ready to go, well, fuck you, New York. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> oh, you have a stonewall, darling. But, no, he totally educated me. In well, you know, it's, it's David Mil- it's Billy Cliff and David Milburn who had that uh, brilliant documentary about Out Magazine's uh, 100 Years. They, they profiled the black cat. And, it's, you know, it's right there on, on Sunset Junction in Silver Lake. It's, it's a, when I lived there, it was a trendy – uh, bar slash uh, laundromat, you know, mm-hmm. and so here I am walking by there all this time. With, they kept the original sign, but, you know, I'm not realizing that had anything to do with any great part of the gay movement. Mm-hmm. And so I was just dumbfounded when I watched the, the documentary about it, because he's right. It was like this was two years before Stonewall. And yeah, yet, 1967, right. It just didn't get the... The attention. But, you know, when I look at some, I mean, because, you know, you and I both, we, you know, we've had our history or whatever. But when I listen to someone like John and I, I look back on what they've done and the, the energy that it takes to be a politician. I just it's it's exhausting because it, when you're a politician, especially in a small town like West Hollywood, you're like in a fishbowl 24 hours a day. Right. I mean, right. you, you when they talk about like. Uh, pressing the flesh and shaking hands and, you know, kissing asses and stuff. I, what I was kind of saying to him is like, enjoy this time now, like enjoy the, the freedom of not having to kiss everybody's ass for that. Vote well, I'm, sh- coming. I'm sure he does. He said by leaving the council, by having to leave, he was like, I'm fine with it. You know, I did my 20 years I did a good job, and I left you with some impressive stats to now take the baton and go forth with, you know. So to your point, 
I think John is definitely doing that. And now that he's written 334 pages, that is going to consume him because the millennial that he hired is absolutely right with all the knowledge that, I mean, all the stuff I've learned from John in our interview today, you know, is just, it just shows you how on top of things you always have to be and how you have to be willing to fight. Like, I wanted to talk to him more about, I mean, how awful when he said, I want to be able to put my head down on my pillow and feel safe at night. How awful to know that somebody has burned your yard, and now during the night, if you hear a noise, you're going to have to get up and go look to see, you know, what they're doing to you, you know. And Well, that's, just, that's why when people talk about, you know, Orange County, the reason it was called Behind the Orange Curtain is it, it, it's, it still has one of the largest skinhead white supremacy movements in the not – not just in the state, but in the country. And, mm. you know, it was always interesting because Laguna Beach was like the little pocket of gay, gay society. And what happened was, in addition to the AIDS epidemic, it got so expensive there. A great, a great part of the Palm Springs community are people who transplanted from Laguna Beach originally, especially when the AIDS had hit. So many of um, the probably late 60s, early 70-year-olds in Palm Springs, um, if you start talking to them, three out of seven lived in Laguna Beach at some time, and they Mm -hmm. migrated toward uh, Palm Springs. And now it's kind of like, I make the joke, in L.A., you start in West Hollywood, you go to Silver Lake, and then you end up in Palm Springs. Palm Springs. Although, <laughs> although, you know, Palm Springs and, you know, our friend Ronnie finds that out now. There is a much younger uh, group of people moving there because, mainly because they don't have to live in L.A. full time to work and they can buy property for such, you know, such lower price. And it's just a easier way of life out there than mm-hmm. the city. But, um yeah, so that, that that political side of me, you know, I've always been a junkie with, with politics, but especially with, like, when I just didn't find that so amazing when he said, well, you know, my friend, John, was going up there to start a city. Start like, a city, I know. Yeah, your, I mean, your analogy I, was so good. It's like, well, do you want to do a show? Yeah, okay, let's go, st- yeah, let's go start a city. We're going to call it Jasperland, and, you know, and we're going to get incorporated, you know, and it's like, wow. Okay, let's start the city and let's go move there. You know how? Um, yeah, well, it, and it's, also just the fact how, in a, in a way, as much as I know, you know, you probably did not they did not want to lose an election, but I do think it's profound and sort of meant to be in a positive way that the two of them together left at the same time. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm, it's, right? It's so it's so archetypal of like, you know, out with the, the old, new, in with the new. Yeah, and even old in a good way, and I mean, I'm just in, saying old in in like a. It's almost like the the OGs, you know. Yeah, like, no, it is in a good way. Yeah, and and John, he understands that. He was like, yeah, they brought in the younger people. You know, his big fear is like, you know, West Hollywood is losing its bohemianness. It, it's just like the East Village in New York. If you mm-hmm. like went Disney Disneyfied that all up, what a drag. That would be, I mean, part of it is the griminess of it, you know, and just the very realness of it. But, uh, <clears throat> well, you know, Silver Lake was that way. You know, when I moved to Silver Lake in 1990, um, people talk about, I mean, up in the up in the hills where 
we lived, it was always nice. But Sunset Junction, that whole area down at, like, you know, Sunset, and mm-hmm. that, that was very seedy. You know, it was that mm-hmm. sort of. Um, and now look at Silver Lake. It is like, it's not even the gate. I think Silver Lake is mostly straight now. You know, it's mostly young families and the hipsters. And, and I've always thought that was very interesting with the gay community anyway. You know, I used to think, well, wait, we're all we're all kind of fighting for equality and wanting to be, I thought we all originally kind of wanted to just blend in, right? Just be accepted and sort of blend in. And then the more West Hollywood became gentrified and a little more mixed, you would get this like, well, why are all the straights here now? And I always thought, God, it's such a dilemma of like, you can't have it both ways, right? Either, either you want to say, stay segregated and have your own like, little community and we're over here and you're over there or you want it to be blended together where everyone is kind of living but yet now that i'm older i see the value in both you know i see i see the dilemma there of of wanting to hold on to well wait what about us you know being gay and then but but we need to blend in together and and live together I see what you're saying. I, I do go for the blending in more because that's when you end up with these fabulous biracial children that are complete yeah. unprejudiced and love everybody and everything. And that's why you have these, the, the millennials and these new kids growing up, as you've taught me too, that are not all like anti-gay because no. – they're questioning themselves too. And, and that's why, you know, like John said, the cue is for, well, he, maybe he didn't say it in this interview, the cue is for queer, you know, mm-hmm. and at, at first he didn't want to adopt that term, but then it's like, no, we're going to take that derogatory term and own it, you know, and, and make it ours. And um, <clears throat> yeah, the well, second segregation- people, some people are using it for questioning as well. Now, you know, the younger generation, they see the, the cue as questioning. Oh, right. Um, Maybe back then it was for queer and now it's, that's even segued into questioning. But to your point, I mean, I see like, yeah, it's a dilemma. If you're a, a bohemian gay man in your little hamlet and you mm-hmm. like to go get your coffee and sandwich at your little place and feel very independent and gay, and now you're sitting there with a family of three, a mother and father and a little girl, and you're thinking, well, goddamn, they're taking over. No, no, no. You still go be your bohemian self with your coffee and your croissant. Let the family do their thing. Let that little girl say, mommy, why is that man wearing a skirt? And the mommy can say, because that's what men and women do, honey. And this little child will grow up not being anti-gay. That's right. And that's what, and then what's even better is now we have two mommies and two daddies coming in with their strollers and their kids. And you have a gay couple you have two men with their kids and you have two women with their kids. And all of those kids are all going to school together and playing together and going to the park on, in West Hollywood or wherever together. And, and the great thing is it's not just West Hollywood. It's, it's everywhere now, which is wonderful. Right. And to your point, that is why we have had, I believe, the greatest thing about Gen Z is they are not – they are so free, free-loving. I mean, granted, they may have their own issues of – they can't talk to anyone. They can't get off the phone. You know, they can't, 
Mm-hmm. They they can't leave their parents' basement. However, they're addicted to Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, they don't have the built-in prejudices that we tended to that we had to we had to learn to let go of growing up. Exactly, and like John said in his speech years ago. When he was growing up, and you and I have had this talk, there wasn't transgender. That wasn't an issue. That couldn't have been talked about back then the way it is now. We were right. back then. We were having to deal with the G's and the L's. Let's right. get through that, you know. Because he said when we started, there was no B and no T. It no. started with the L's and then the G's. So you know, when you start learning all of that history too, it's like guys. Um, yes, we will get to you, but first let us lay the groundwork. And it was so profound what he said about how we all, not that I was marching with the picket sign, but when he mentioned Carposi sarcoma, and I know that I was putting medicine on my friend's Carposi sarcoma lesions, hoping that that was going to make it go down or go away or disappear because none of us knew what we were doing. It's like, yeah, we were laying the groundwork. I can remember being on Fire Island at the beach, you know, just being in the breeze and in the sand and watching guys walk by on the beach looking like a tiger because they had so many spots on them, you know, and it was just. Doesn't it it almost seem, Ralph, in a way, it's weird. That's why, because when I'm back here, you know, it was my years of like delivering the food to, to the AIDS patients and stuff. It's not like it was a dream because I know it happened. I lived it. I was there. But I've talked to other people about it, and Dennis talks about it. It's, and Dennis said something to me the other day that was profound, and I never stopped to think about it because I'm always saying, oh, wow, do you miss L.A.? You know, do, but, and he goes, he goes, Jasper, I had a wonderful life in L.A., and I had a wonderful time in West Hollywood, but I had a lot of pain and a lot of um, sorrow in that town. During Mm. those years, he goes, you know, but luckily he goes the last 20 years there I had with you and life was great. He goes, but I don't, it, when I, he goes, when I'm, when I go back there, you know, it, the ghosts are there. They're Mm -hmm. they're there. And, um, yeah. And so I have to always, he had, he sort of like had, he had 10 plus more years here in that time period than I did. Right. So, Mm -hmm. Uh, I my memory of what's Hollywood is my first twenty years with Dennis and right and, and not knowing not being privy to his previous ten before you kind of that kind of because Dennis and I met you know right when the medications were being were there so I wasn't with Dennis those years before and so I always have to pay homage to him and realize you know that that. Um, he has a lot of memories here, good and bad. So that's why, like, right. this this place now, it, it, it is a workplace. And, of course, we still, like, we get back together here. But, you know, I've got to learn to stop trying to recreate the past because I'll still mm. want to, like, let's go to our favorite, what was favorite our favorite place. restaurant. Silver Spoon, and you, right. Yeah, and you just can't. You know, it's not the same. And so you make new memories and you make, mm-hmm. you find new places to go to in the city. So, um, wow, listen, this has been a great, I, I, this is one of my favorite interviews in a long, long time. So I think it's the perfect way to, to kick off season eight. And for anyone, you know, who doesn't know John Duran, like I said, follow him on Instagram because you can keep up with him and find out what his next speech and, 
you know, just connect with him. And again, I want to recommend Peter Staley's new book, um, which is amazing. So, Ralph, thank you so much. You know, I had you, so hope that but we would be back in the studio by kicking off. I, was, I wanted to see you at Temple Bay Studios, um, but this Delta variant has, I just don't think, well, first of all, Temple Bay is closed again. You know, there was a window there the last, for like the last two months, and, you know, I had booked a session on a Sunday, and something came up and I couldn't do it. And now, of course, they're not booking right now. So, it will happen. We will end up face to face and soon in a studio together. But I think this, for in the meantime, this has worked out quite quite well for oh. us. <clears throat> it's really really fabulous. I'm spoiled with this way of life. And like you said, yeah. It. But you know, I was going to say it would be nothing more better than to be up in your face, like when you came and surprised me at my house. <laughs> but I've got. And that was wonderful. But I've got to say, I love our rapport still the way we do it being separated here. We're just as connected. And if we really want to get that next level of being with each other, we can Zoom like we've done before. Yeah, you know, of and I'm not, I'm not saying like, oh, we're never going to get to be in person again. But let's think about it. Even where you are now in West Hollywood, you're going to drive over to Temple Base for a 6 o'clock show. You're going to be dealing with all that traffic. It's not a big deal, and you'll get you know it's not and it's not that far away. But when you're sitting up in your fierce apartment with that orange wall, goddammit, <laughs> and, and, no, and you can and no no furniture that has not been delivered and, yet, and so. no and no furniture and your cup of coffee from Winchell's, you will uh-huh. be very happy. You will be very happy. I thought of you well, today when I was at Winchell's getting my donuts. But well, uh, you I wanted be- to tell you something. I went out to Wal. I thought, you know what? I'm going to go down Melrose. Um, I'm going to go to this the new CVS on Melrose, and then I'm going to venture on down to Winchell's. And I made it. First of all, Fairfax High School was getting out right when I started the walk, <laughs> and there were thousands of teenagers on the sidewalks. And I'm I, I'm trying to cross streets and dodge people, and by the time I made it down to CVS is like at Gardner and, and uh, Santa Monica, I mean, Melrose. So I make it down there. And by the time I got in there and got a few things, I was like, get my ass back home. There are way <laughs> too many people out here for me. So I, I went down a block to Clinton into the neighborhood where there are no people. Cause I'm like, so used to not being around crowds of people. Right. Right. So, right. Um, so anyway, I was cracking myself up. I, 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 but I make coffee here, you know, cause I have a coffee maker now. <laughs> I'm like a, what, like a real person with a, I'm not in a hotel room. I'm actually in my, oh my God. wonderful uh, new bedroom office. Now, of course I have to ask you because you know how we are. Were all these kids, the majority of them unmasked? No. I have to say, they uh, well, for what I can look, because I, I completely freaked out. You know how in New York City, you just know, like, when the light changes, you're always prepared that there's a wall of people coming in New York, right? Right. And everyone, right. Try, you know how it is in New York, and they try to dodge. Well, I was already halfway across Fairfax, and they, fuck, they, these lights give you, like, 20 seconds, and I'm in good shape, and I'm thinking, I can barely get across fast enough before the light changes. So, but I, I had no choice but to just run right into them. 
because there was no way to get around them. I, I had to just go into the crowd and I had my, I have this, I don't know if you've seen my, I have this mask that's the face of a gorilla. Yeah, my it's, mask, a, it's a black one. Yeah, yeah. And I, it, people really react to it. It's hilarious because I've got a black hat on, glasses and a gorilla mask. So you really see absolutely nothing. No ponytail, the ponytail's under the cap. So nobody would know it's me anyway, but I look like a, like a, I'm, I'm going to rob the bank or something. But um, then I crossed over to the other side of Melrose and, and kids were crossing that way. And I was like, God damn, where are you people going? So it was like the school bell had literally just rung when I crossed the street. And, um, oh my goodness. Oh my note goodness. to self, note to self, don't go at three o'clock in the afternoon, I guess. Yeah. But did, did, again, I'll ask, were most of these kids unmasked? No, they were masked. I have oh, to okay, say. And one, thing I, one thing I'll say about L.A., um, I, outside, even outside on the streets here, people are wearing their masks, I have to say. Yeah, I've been very have, impressed. Yeah, I, and to your point, this is indoors things at the post office and at AAA yesterday. Everybody had their mask on over their nostrils. Everybody tried to maintain six feet distance. I mean, everybody did. And um, it was so nice to see that. You know, it was just really nice to see, like, okay, this is our new society. We're doing it. You know, nobody was standing out by on the sidewalk going, I ain't going to wear my mask. I, you can't make me wear my mask. You know, and all <laughs> like John well, we, said. We had, we had a guy in Trader Joe's in Palm Springs the other day. Um, he didn't have a mask on, and it's an older guy. And, you know, at first I thought maybe he had, like, something was wrong, like maybe dementia or something. So I I, I was not going to say anything. And the clerk went, you know, nice guy. I mean, who's find an employee that's not nice at Trader Joe's, right? They're all nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, sir, um, do you have a mask? God damn, I don't have a fucking mask. Give me one if you want me to wear it. Now, see, you know Jasper. The moment someone oh, started, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I said, excuse me, sir. If you don't have a mask, get the fuck out of the store, period. And the, and the clerk looked at me. He was like, I, he goes, and the guy goes, well, I don't, I've got one in the truck. I said, well, carry your ass to the truck and get it then. Oh, and my God. I know. And so he was walking out, and I thought, don't, don't fuck with me. You know, and then I had to go pick up. I, I had to go pick up. I had to go get a rental car at the Enterprise place because you know my car's in the shop. And Ralph, I go in there, and there's this one woman. She's at the counter. She she's got her back to me because she's being waited on, and she's running her mouth and complaining and blah blah blah. And she turns around and she's doing the diaper mask. You know, I call it where you've got the the mask down at your mouth and your nose is not covered. Mm-hmm. And she's she's got it down under her chin, right? It's like a chin strap. And the lady that's there working has not said a word to her, and she's letting her talk. And I'm watching her, and I'm thinking, Jasper, just don't don't start, just don't start. So I got up and went outside. And then there's a guy who works outside, but he's going in and out, giving car keys and stuff. And I noticed he's not wearing a mask. So. I let him do it like two times and then he went back in and I stepped back in and I go, I'm sorry, sir, do you have a mask? And he goes, what? I go, where's your mask? 
And he go, and then the the guy working there goes, oh, he's just going in and out. I go, I'm sorry. If I have to wear a mask, he has to wear a mask. And and the guy pulls it. He pulls it out of his pocket, Ralph. And I go, God damn. So I call AAA, who put who sent me there to get my thing. I go, okay, listen, I'm waiting here at, at Enterprise. Nobody's wearing masks. Don't ever send me here again. Um, she was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And, and yeah, and, then, and the lady that's still standing there, and now I'm on, a, I'm, on a, I'm on a rampage, right? So I go, and by the way, ma'am, you can pull your damn mask up, too. <laughs> <laughs> and she turns around and looks at me. I go, yeah, pull it up. Because, I mean, Ralph, it's like, what the fuck is wrong with these people? Did she pull it up? She begrudgingly pulled it up. And then so the guy that was waiting on me comes over and I go, I have become the full on Karen, the math person today. I said, he was right. I go, it started at Trader Joe's and now I've come here. So, I mean, I, I apologize. And he, then he and I both were cracking up. He goes, Oh my God, I'm so glad you said something. He goes, nobody will speak up. I go, well, we're probably because she probably, she's right there. Ralph. I go, well, she probably has a gun in her car. She's going to kill me. But you know, the guy was like – even the guy working there was afraid to say something. Yeah, I was thinking of that about – no joke about the gun in the car because just these two encounters, encounters you had, I said, yeah, they're innocent enough, but these people are crazy. And this is happening in Palm Springs where I thought it was supposed to be all tranquil in a fucking desert oasis. Well, and here's what I thought about the lady at Tr- – I thought at Enterprise as well. She's renting a car, so she doesn't have a car. So unless she's got her gun in her purse – She's not going to go out to a car and get a gun because she doesn't have a car. Um, that that's one thing. But the, you're right. The guy at um, at Trader Joe's, I thought, well, he was so slow moving, he'd have a hard time finding me to catch me. But yeah, I mean, I just thought, not on my watch. No, no, mm-mm. I'm going to run. My my dad told me he's like, son, somebody's going to pop you in the mouth. And I said, well, if you, I, I'm not going to be that passive person that lets. People just run all over us, you know, but yeah, anyway, it's a so, scary, it's a scary, like I'm, well, you go out more than I do, but I'm happy to say, like I said, with the AAA and the post office experience, everybody was well behaved and, you know, did you hear about the man getting off the plane the other day, growling like a dog, God damn it. It's just I like, thought, yes, I know. you know, people are just touched, touched in the head, but um, how about these, yeah. wait, how about these parents? At these school board meetings, just losing their shit and just yelling and screaming at people. My kids are going to wear a mask. You don't, I mean, and then chasing the, the, politi- the council people to their car, <clears throat> saying, we know where you live and shit like that. Yeah, I mean. These, these are like in small town Tennessee and places. Why is it getting so ugly? So much time is wasted on my child's not wearing a mask. So your child's not going to be wearing a mask, sitting next to a child, wearing a mask. And then who came up with that three-foot thing, what, three feet away? Was that so they could get more kids in the room? That's not even based so. on that's not, And that's what's so fucked up, not even based on science. It's like, okay, um, the kids will now be three feet away. Well, what happened to the six feet away? Oh, it doesn't need to be that far. Yeah, so you can cram more people in. It's I just, know. It, it's a, you know – and like John Duran said it today, it's it's this war of the science and and factual people versus this mystic 
conspiracy theory. They put a chip in the fucking syringe when they injected me. You know, and like I, everybody who has mentioned that to me, I'm like, who the fuck gives a shit about your little menial life going from here to there? Um, and right, they can put you know, a chip in me. They will be so bored watching me. You know, walk around with you know, and work out and drink coffee and do the breakdowns. I mean, that's right. going to be an exciting time for them. Yeah, you know, it's just like really, this is what the world. Yeah, well, you know what? The world wasn't designed for all these people. And like John was talking about the bubonic plague and the. Can you imagine they were just like, you know, just kill them, okay? Because <laughs> that is the only way that we are going to get rid of this, okay? So that means when you went to the hospital nowadays, they would just uh, inject you with some lethal finger. And you would just be dirt. So it is just interesting fucking times. But um, well, I always say, like in conclusion, I always say, you know, things are either happening at us or for us. You mm-hmm. know, it's how it's how we react to situations and what we learn from it. And then, so we have a choice in all these situations, like a like a worldwide pandemic and stuff. And we've talked about the good. You know, when I say good, I I never want to say good. And forget about the dead. I'm not talking about. I'm just saying the the good that's happened in the way we've re, restructured our lives and refocused our priorities, and you know, taken life a lot more seriously and not for granted. I think so. That's that's important. So. Oh yeah, and you know what, Jasper? I heard today that Moderna is now working on a vaccine that covers the flu and COVID. So it oh. is like, yes, it's always something. These people are like they are just like shit. Well, if it could cure herpes, you'll be in good shape then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Was that I shouldn't have disclosed. Oh that. my goodness. Okay. Oh God, Planet Earth are the things that I have to endure. But you know, let's just hope that it's all just going to work. It's, it seems like it's just getting to the point now. It's like whatever that just stick whatever you have into my arm and yeah. hope, you know, hope for the best. Six months, eight months, two weeks, whatever. The I, love, I love those people like I don't know what's in that as they light up a cigarette, as they drink a Coca-Cola, as they eat a Twinkie, you know, all the shit they're putting in their system with all the chemicals. All the shit they don't know what's in. They got the polio vaccine and the mumps vaccine and the, the rubella and everything else, and they don't have it. They get a cortisone shot for their big knees because they're so fucking obese they can't walk. But God forbid they put something in their system that's going to help people live. Shut your fat fucking face. That's yeah, what I have I, to say. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. That's a very valid point. You know, it's it's kind of like – the same people that don't vote and then complain about who won. It's like, well, you didn't vote, but so, you know. Um, yeah, and I'm sorry. There's a doctor somewhere, and God bless her. I forgot where she's at in part one part of the country. She's refusing to treat unvaccinated people with COVID. Mm-hmm. She said, no, you had a choice. You didn't get it, so get to the back of the line. Not in my office. Wow. So, I love that. You know what? That's, that's her choice. It's her business. You know how they talk about businesses – can decide how they want to run their business. Well, she's a private practice in her own practice. And she's saying, if if you're sick and you want me to give you treatment, if you chose not to get vaccinated, then just drink the bleach or whatever Trump told you to drink and be good, you know, good luck. Right, right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's defining us. It's this 
pandemic has definitely given us new de- definitions to people's behavior and to the things that we're going to have to get used to. Um, <clears throat> you know, as I, you, you said to me once, Ralph, I think you're in the minority of how fastidious you are about trying to avoid COVID. And I feel that to be true sometimes because I see how people just, you know, just whimsically just whip on a mask, you know, just one mask. I have three masks on and a face shield. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and it's, yes, it's uncomfortable, but where I'm going, it's, it's like standing in line at the post office or like when I was at AAA, as long as I'm not exerting myself, then I'm okay. But I thought, you know what? It makes me feel safe. So we all have to do what makes us feel safe. It makes me feel like, okay, I am now in an indoor space with people where there is this variant called Delta that is highly contagious and transmissible. Let me just, and because I don't go out often, let me just be as safe and protected as I can. So when I come back home, I'm not living in fear. And I can... You know, like I have done the best I could do. Well, listen, on, on that note, we are going to have to close the show, but I wanted to also say since our, since we've been together, everyone, Ralph has now shot his first job as an actor. He had a wonderful role in a new film opposite Oscar nominee Sally Kirkland and Mel England and directed by the and fabulous... It- Billy, Billy Cliff, Cliff, who you mentioned before with the black cat. Former, former guest just a few months ago, one of our last guests before we took our summer break. And um, we'll be promoting that when it comes out. And Ralph is back on the audition game. He's already had several great auditions. So everyone, Ralph. You should be you hearing from casting any day now. <laughs> he will, <laughs> He will be back in, on your streaming services before you know it. And if you, and if you want to find him, you can still find him on many different uh, reruns and shows and movies. So, and we yeah. have, and Ralph and I have a great new show that is churning away in development, and we, you know, that's coming soon. So once we can talk about that, we will certainly do that. But anyway, everyone. Yay. Thank you for these last seven years. We're so excited for season eight. We have a guest already for next Thursday. It's a wonderful actress celebrating the 20th anniversary of Silence of the Lambs. And so we're going to have her on. Check our social media posts when we confirm that. But we will be back, same place, same time. Ralph, peace out, much love, and we'll talk Thank to you, you. soon. Bye-bye, Planet Eartha. Thanks for checking out One-on-One with Jasper Cole. Check out past episodes and get the latest as they're released. Subscribe today on iTunes, Stitcher, and YouTube.